0: Welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast, bringing you news and financial tips for doctors, dentists, teachers and lawyers. Hello, I'm Neil Whelan and welcome to the first episode of the Wesleyan Podcast for 2019. To kick us off with the new series, I've been talking to Robert Vaudry, Wesleyan's Chief Investment Officer, about what we can expect to see this year in terms of the markets, the economy, international affairs and, you've guessed it, Brexit. Now, before we kick off, as always when we're talking about investments... I have to say we'll be talking about the performance of the markets, past, present, and a little bit of speculation about the future. This podcast is just for information purposes only, though, so it does not constitute financial advice, and a financial decision should not be made on any information given. Also, while we're talking about markets going up in the past, the value of investments can fall as well as rise, so that means you could get back less than you invest. And with that, let's get on with the show. Okay, Robert, let's start with Brexit. We won't bury the lead here. Um, it's been the only show in town for the past two and a half years. The UK is scheduled to leave the EU at 11pm on the dot on the 29th of March. At the time of recording, we don't know what kind of exit we're looking at, whether it'll be May's deal, a renegotiated deal, no deal, or indeed, no Brexit at all. Brexit's still a minefield, with a poll showing remain and leave still more or less at 50-50, the majority of Labour Party members wanting a second referendum, and the majority of Tory members wanting a no deal. So, Robert... Let's go through those in order, shall we? May's deal. Now, at time recording, it's going to be voted on on the 15th of January. What do you think of that? So even before we get to May's deal, we're
1: in a period of guerrilla tactics within Parliament. So we're recording on a Monday. Tomorrow uh, is the finance bill vote in Parliament, of which it looks like there will be an amendment which will try and block any finance for a no deal. So, over the next couple of weeks, all sorts of outcomes could happen. But let's say whether they fail or don't fail, we'll get to the point on the 14th or 15th of Jan where Theresa May's deals come before Parliament. Today, I'm pretty certain it will fail. Doesn't mean it goes away, it means that she will be able to then go back to her colleagues in continental Europe again and ask for further amendments. Now, I don't think there's much chance of much happening but certainly we will not get to a solution just because her deal fails. I think when her deal fails, um, the Labour Party will then do a vote of no confidence in the government. That, unless they can convince the DUP to support Labour, will fail. And I don't think the DUP will support Labour, so it won't go anywhere. Theresa May will then try, probably next, to come back with a revised deal. And I think at that point we'll know whether there is any mileage at all in a renegotiation with, with the European colleagues. Um, I suspect it's not enough to get the DUP to support her deal but they will be the key sort of 10 or 12 votes in that in which case the next most likely scenario I believe will be a second referendum vote in Parliament now that at the moment doesn't have the numbers but I think if Theresa May's deals failed and assuming she survived a vote of no confidence you could get enough people to potentially support that however The problem is you can't organise that before the 29th of March. So therefore you have to either cancel Article 50, which the European Court of Justice has said Parliament can do on its own, or you have to ask for an extension of time. An extension of time is subject to the approval of all 27 EU countries. Um, So any one of those can vote against it. There's no guarantee we'll get an extension of time, although the logic would be why wouldn't we give the UK an extension of time to have a second referendum. So I think it, there'll be some machination around that if Theresa May deals fail. At the moment, there is legislation that says we are leaving on the 29th mm-hmm. of March.
0: Because um, that was one of the key points when it first started, to so yeah. put in, cast in stone, we are going on the 29th
1: of yeah. March. I bet she regrets that now. But anyway, it was, <laughs> it was cast in stone. And uh, the, the Jacob Rees-Mogg's of this world and, and his um, ERG group, Are very much, I think, relying on the fact that the clock is ticking down and there's 90 odd days to go till that point. But, um, you know, a, a resolution in Parliament, which is something that is up for discussion at some point, that says a no deal is not an option, doesn't override legislation that says it is an option. So, actually, what you would actually need is legislation to say that what is to amend the European Withdrawal Bill or Act. That has already been through Parliament. So again, that's not clear cut. However, I do think Parliament at 24 hours notice, if it had to, would do that. What you're going to get through that period is a period of increased volatility still, because we don't know the solution. And day by day, hour by hour, the position and the probabilities of each outcome will change. One thing I am certain of is there is no majority in Parliament for a no deal. So as much as a lot of the media are now hyping that a no deal is more likely, we, from the investment point of view, and this is an investment view, not a political view, as an investment view, really don't think a no deal is a realistic alternative. You know, I say that with the caveat that does the clock run down and it gets very close and we go over the 29th of March line? Maybe, but I've said before, the European Union has the ability to almost like stop the clock. With one second to go, and almost you live in 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 a, t- in a surreal time period. So I don't think we will get to the No Deal period. I don't think any government, if we did, and I was wrong, could survive. You know the chaos on you know, around the ports, planes not flying, food running out in shops. I just don't think that is a, a realistic option. So I think we will get a deal or a second referendum, but. Uh, the probability of each of those I honestly don't know, I don't think anyone knows anymore
0: Here's another scenario for you We cancel Article 50 on the, but say, right, we're going to go away and sort ourselves out and think about this properly and so it's almost kicked into the long grass giving each side of the Conservative Party and the Labour Party more time to go away and think what they actually want Is that realistic thoughts or is that just a Technically, it's possible, but unlikely. Well, it is possible, um,
1: but I I think all parties would probably prefer the extending time route, which obviously relies on the 27 to support that. If you are a leader saying that you're going to cancel Article 50, I think you will be absolutely vilified in the press. So I don't think any of them, as much as you can do it, I don't think any of them will want to do it by choice. It will be a last resort to get to the point where you're saying we will no longer actually, having voted to leave, we will no longer be leaving. And we may bring it back at a future date. I I think it's really tough for any politician, apart from the Liberal Democrats, or the Scottish Nationals for that matter, to pursue that line.
0: So the other scenario is the prospect of a snap general election, which the Labour leadership is pushing for almost ahead of a second referendum. And it may well be that Theresa May herself says, I'd rather go back to the people and try and get a – much like she did in 2017 – go back to the people and say, right, give me a large majority so I can push through this deal. So there's arguments on both sides to go for it. But again, is it a possibility? Well, it's certainly a possibility. But but the
1: scenarios I mapped out earlier, I, I just don't think Labour and the other opposition parties will win a vote of no confidence Unless the DUP are with them, and that for all sorts of reasons, not least of which Jeremy Corbyn's sort of you know previous political views on Ireland, which are so totally opposed to the DUP, he of all of all people within the Labour Party, he's the most unlikely one for them to to link up with. So I don't think that's a realistic scenario. Uh, And he's tried; I mean, he has had some dialogue with them, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's got very far. Um, Would Theresa May? call a snap election to put her deal to the people ahead of supporting a um a second referendum that is a possibility i'm not sure the party would love her for it um i'm not sure she'd get the outcome she wanted but you know the one poll we've seen so far in 2019 has a conservative party five points ahead of labor i mean it's a bit of an outlier from Previous ones, but there's no doubt Labour have not pulled ahead of the Tories. You know they are sort of in the in the, it, it, you
0: know quite close. So and it's it quite back, a risk. Yeah, and it goes back to Jeremy Corbyn's. If, again, if you believe all the polls, saying he's hemorrhaging support by not supporting that second referendum. So at that point, Theresa May might go. You know what? I'll I'll chance this and have a go myself. Yeah, and
1: I think I think from from my understanding of where the polls are there's you know, Jeremy Corbyn is very concerned about what happens to Labour seats particularly up north that's a generalisation but sort of up north um, and that's why he's held the line he's had and I don't blame him for not having he hasn't had to have a position so it hasn't done him any harm it hasn't necessarily helped either I do think if the Labour Party came out and in support of, of um, a second referendum Assuming Theresa May deal has failed and a vote of no confidence fails, and that in theory is their policy, um, I suspect there would be a overall a net benefit to them in the polls. Um, and that would to your question about what Theresa May call a snap election. I suspect she'll wait for the polling to see where that comes out. If it turns out it actually harms Labour, then she may well go to the mm-hmm. polls rather than go through the machinations of a of a second referendum. Although they would be the first to admit, the, the, those MPs in favour of a second referendum, would be the first to admit they haven't got the numbers yet, I do wonder if Theresa May deals fail, whether that would be the next sort of most popular thing in Parliament and could get enough people, because they're not making a decision, to actually vote in favour of it, and it becomes what Parliament is suggesting we should go for. But I caveat all this by saying, even between the recording and this getting posted, I mean, you know, we could be in a completely different scenario within days. We well, just don't can know anymore. Keep looking over the
0: television to see if anything's breaking. At the moment yeah, you know,
1: and uh, you know, we did, we recently did the uh, retirement seminars up and down the country, and again, so people would have noticed. I was probably looking at Sky TV up to sort of one minute before I went on stage, because sometimes, you know, you have to, you know, you have to live real time some of these discussions. And I think it is getting to the point. Look, the, I think the one thing with all this is we all want to come to a conclusion. Yeah. I think even I, who love all this stuff, I'm sick and tired of it all. I just want to know where we stand so we can plan for the future. Um, and maybe in due course, I'll cut. You know, you you might want to ask me about so our investment calls 2019, and I'll talk about how that might impact stuff. Okay, well, let's
0: leave Brexit to one side for the moment, and let's look around the world because. Um, Yeah, there are things going on in America at the moment, the least of which is Donald Trump uh, shutting down half the government um, in the hope of getting his wall built. Now, that was one of his key campaign promises. He said, I'm going to build a wall on the southern border. I'm going to get Mexico to pay for it. But the reason the government shut down is because he wants the American government to pay for it. So there's all sorts going on there. But from an international perspective and how it affects the markets, what's going on at the moment that's related to this? So in the US, um,
1: last December was the worst December for equity performance for 50 years. And that was because we got the perfect storm of Donald Trump, uh, you know, not doing a deal with China, a trade deal, and he's Mr. Trade, but, you know, problems with that. Um, Him being very publicly critical of the Fed um, and markets do not want the president and the Fed chair falling out. Um, and probably a variety of other views about his tweets and his government and who was leaving, and a general sense that there was no direction, um, you know, foreign policy fallout, all the rest of it. Perfect storm. Markets suddenly went. You know what? Despite your tax cuts, Donald Trump, we just don't know where it's all going. And they sold. Bit of panic sips and it's cold. However, his tax cuts did stimulate the U.S. economy, along with major infrastructure investment, particularly on the back of a lot of the. Um, uh, the hurricanes, uh, particularly in southern the USA. So he had done some good things to prime pump the economy. And the US economy uh, in the third quarter annualized was growing at about 3.4%. That is a phenomenal growth figure for a major developed economy. Credit to him for doing that. Mm-hmm. But that was the peak. The US economy is now beginning to slow down. But this year, 2019, we think it might grow at about 23 2.4%. Which, honestly, is not bad. It's not bad, yeah. And consumer confidence levels, they've come off their peaks, but they still remain high. That There's an index that comes out once a month. It's well above 120. And sort of anything above 120 is I think, fantastic result. So the economy in 2019 is, is doing well, just not as well as it had done previously. We believe that in 2019, Donald Trump will be forced to do a deal with the Chinese. And it will be, for both China and the US and the world generally, a good deal. Could he have done a better deal if he'd negotiated it more than just America and China, but global in China? Yes, but it will be a good deal. The Fed, um, partly because of the view about where markets have got to, and markets have oversold, we believe. But because of um, where that's got to, the Fed is no longer proposing four interest rate rises in 2019, which at one stage it was doing. You know, my guess is now there may be one, there may be none. You know, the max we're probably going to get is two. But suddenly, you know, that means it's it remains cheap for American corporates to borrow money and actually for mortgage owners and all the rest of it that we have in the UK. So that is good news for the equity markets. So we actually think the U.S. economy will carry on in good shape. It will, you know, equities have been oversold because of the perfect storm will get over all that, and US equities will do very well in 2019. For us in the UK, based on sterling, actually the one drawback of that will be, we also think this year, despite the earlier comments, a Brexit deal of some nature will happen. So that level of uncertainty will will go beyond, it'll be risk-off in the markets, and UK markets will want to rally. Because You have to remember, a trillion U.S. dollars was taken out of U.K. equities during the last 18 months because of Brexit. Mm -hmm. So not all, but a lot of that will come back into the market. You will have sterling rise on the back of it. There will be a rally in sterling. Remember, it was 150-something when we had the referendum. It's about 126 today. My guess is it will get back to the low 140s against the dollar. That does mean, despite the U.S. rising and us sort of being quite keen on U.S. shares, if you take that currency impact off, it actually takes out most of the gains you get. So you're better off being in a sterling-based investment. Um, and you know, there's been a lot of money that has... The uncertainty in the UK has meant UK companies have just not invested. You know, Wesleyan's no different to other companies. So you kind of put decisions off because you can. Yeah. And a lot of those decisions will come back on. So a lot of money, for want of a better phrase, you're hidden under the mattress, will come out and be invested in the UK. So we think the UK will be a great place to be for equities in 2019, assuming everything we've said will happen in the U.S. happens. Uh, And the U.K. could well be the best performing developed equity market. So we are very happy that we are currently overweight U.K. equities uh, in our portfolios, in the bulk of our portfolios. Um, And if anything, we'll be adding to our U.K. holdings during the course of this year. We're long-term investors, but we're also anti-cyclical. So um, you know, when markets have bad days, we're happily buying equities.
0: Mm-hmm. And just going back to interest rates that you touched on with the Fed interest rates, the Bank of England's also got decisions to make because you know, they're still maybe not at record lows anymore, but still maybe they'll leave them where they are for another 12 months.
1: Yeah, maybe. The, the difference in the U.S. is the U.S. started a year ago raising interest rates and, and the phrase is normalizing interest rates back to a, you know, the long run average. Uh, we hardly started that process in the UK, partly because of Brexit. It, it meant the Bank of England wasn't in a position to do so. Uh, so it certainly wants to get interest rates to a higher level, partly because w- when a recession comes, as some uh, of you will know, a recession is coming at some point. What you then want is for the Bank of England to better cut interest rates to stimulate the economy during that period of time. But in the meantime, if the economy is growing, then... Um, You know, you want to be able to normalize interest rates and put interest rates up. I don't think anything will happen dramatically before 29th of March Mm -hmm. and then we'll see where we get to. Um, If we get a resolution that um, we all buy into and is sort of Theresa May's deal or Theresa May's deal plus type thing, or even a second referendum and the result comes out and it's anything other than no deal, uh, my guess is the Bank of England will be looking to raise interest rates uh, in the second half of this year. But, you know, would it be more than two 25 basis point rises? I'd be very surprised. Uh, It probably will be one. So uh, I don't think there'll be anything in the first half. But in the second half, subject to where we all come out, the Bank of England could be looking if there's a sudden injection of capital back into UK markets and it's looking like our growth rate is spiking up quite considerably on the back of some form of deal as we play catch up, in effect. uh, They might use the opportunity to put interest rates up in the second half. Okay.
0: Let's look at the markets then and what could happen there. So but before we look forward, we'll look back. Over the past three months, it says here, the FTSE 100 fell from just over 7,400 points to 6,700, which is about a 10% drop. And the FTSE 250 fell from more than 20,000 points to around seventeen five hundred, twelve a 12% drop. You kind of touch the fact that there was this perfect storm in America and things decreased here. What are... The prospects do you see the markets for for 2019?
1: So let me touch back on 2018 again. 2018 we thought that property and equities would be the best performing asset classes and bonds and cash would underperform. Um, We were wrong on equities. We we were looking absolutely fantastic through the third quarter and then there was a brutal last quarter particularly the brutal last month and so equities actually underperformed quite badly. Thankfully because of you know, our stock picking ability, um, <clears throat> because we're in quite defensive sectors, because we weren't in either emerging markets in any material way or technology in any material way, we actually sort of, you know, managed to mitigate you know, the, the, the worst the impact. Moments, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, we we are of the view that equity is oversold in that period for that perfect storm plus the Brexit mm-hmm. thing thrown in for the UK. And we think that will all unwind in twenty nineteen. So we are if I think about the asset classes, property, I think, will be flattish in 2019. Cash and fixed income again, I think, will struggle to beat inflation. So you're beginning to say, what have you got left to invest in? And by default, it is equity. So I think there is a very positive story, as we've laid out before, between US trade deal with China, um, improved relationships with the Fed and Donald Trump. Donald Trump ostensibly becoming more of a lame duck, I think, with the whole thing with the with the Democrats now controlling the House of Reps. I just think the limits of his power now will become more, more apparent. I just don't think people will care that much what he does. Uh, coupled with all the benefits, if you're a UK investor, um, for a stronger sterling, has impacts of impacts on the FTSE 100 companies that earn 70% of the money from overseas. Yeah, yeah. But the overriding relief, the whole relief rally of a Brexit deal of some sorts will far outweigh that. Plus all the money flowing back into the UK um, that was taken out I think the u k is is going to look very very good i 'd still be nervous we 've had the debate internally about whether emerging markets are cheap enough now to get into on the equity side and we 're still nervous that we don 't you know uh, there may be some stocks we may begin to invest in, but generally we 'll avoid emerging markets again for two thousand and nineteen yeah develop anything overseas europe may well of europe may well do quite well, but again it 's the currency factor, although the movement against uh, the euro is less is less prevalent um, than it was against the dollar. Uh, the UK is where we want to be, and markets we believe will do very well. So I don't want to put a number. <laughs> it's on it. not a guarantee, listener. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not a guarantee. I don't want to put a number on it because I did. Some of you will know I had a forecast of what the FTSE would end in 2018, mm. <laughs> and I don't want to go there. So in 2019, I won't give a number, but it will be. I am sh- I am confident. On an evidence-based analysis, that equity markets will be significantly higher to, uh, by
0: year-end than they are today. I should get you to write a number down on the piece of paper and put it in an envelope <laughs> and seal it, and then we'll open it at the end of the year and see what happens. We <laughs> could do. We could do.
1: I was actually I was at a, a meeting of the London Stock Exchange recently, and we had one of those sort of you know, year-end forecasts. I did put a number down for them, and everyone else fed off their chair. <laughs> you know, I was the outlier by some way. But then, you know, we've got a half-decent track record. Exactly.
0: And that's our show for this week. If you'd like more information about investing with Wesleyan, visit the website at wesleyan.co.uk and click on the Investments and Savings tab at the top of the screen. For more information about Wesleyan generally, you can follow us on Twitter, at Wesleyan, search for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and we're even on Instagram, at Wesleyan Careers. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify, where you'll also be able to download and stream all the earlier episodes. But until next time, thanks for listening.